Welcome to the Artist Work Ethic Podcast. I'm Mike Pilak. I'm an actor, screenwriter, and filmmaker who's always looking to maximize my time and potential as I work to break in. In this podcast, I talk to artists of all kinds who have seen success in their fields about their process, habits, and work ethic. Today on the show is Frank Turner. Frank Turner is an English punk and folk singer-songwriter. He began his career as the vocalist of post-hardcore band Million Dead, then embarked upon a primarily acoustic-based solo career following the band's split in 2005. To date, Turner has released nine solo albums, one split album, and five EPs. His ninth and most recent studio album, Frank Turner Hardcore, reached number one in the UK Albums Chart in the week following its release. A couple quick things before we jump into the episode. I've talked in the past about myself working on breaking into screenwriting. Please check out blackoilfilms.com slash screenwriting. There you can check out some of the screenplays I've written. I have the first 10 pages of each one uploaded, but feel free to email me at theartistsworkethicpodcast at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to send you a full script if you're interested in reading. Last thing before we get into the episode... I would love anyone listening to subscribe, rate, and review the Artist's Work Ethic podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us put the show out there for more people to listen to. Frank, thanks for coming on with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. So through punk rock, we both come from a DIY or DIY-influenced background. How has DIY and that ethic contributed to or informed your work ethic i mean in in the sort of on the conscious conscious level it's pretty much all of it actually i do think that there's more to talk about here which we'll get into in a second you know uh i i fell in love with music and pretty quickly found my way to punk rock and um the diy ethic was the one of the most attractive parts of it that and the sense of kind of a welcome gathering space for, for weirdos and misfits and outsiders. That was also very important, but because yeah, I got in some punk records and I, and I, um, you know, I, I bought a, the clash and black flag and stuff like that. And then I found out that there were actually people doing this right now in London. When I say right now, I mean in like 1997, but like, you know, there were people putting on shows and playing in hardcore and yeah. punk bands. And, and I sort of managed, I was fortunate enough, me and a friend to sort of like, track down the kind of center of it and the barrier to entry was showing up essentially it was like if you're here and you want to be part of this then you are part of it that's it and and like there was something so empowering about that you know you didn't need to be cool and you didn't need to have (laughs) years on your punk cv or anything like that it was just kind of like you're here you're part of it and then within that it was kind of like well you know, there was there was a brief moment of feeling a bit like when people, you know, I recently reread Michael Azarad's "Our Band Could Be Your Life," and one of the defining things about sort of eighties punk rock and indie, the like, it, it wasn't that it was a conscious choice to stay away from the main structures of the music industry. Is that the idea that anyone from that world would be interested in, in what they were doing was just ludicrous, you know? And like, no one in the hardcore scene in London in the late nineties had any thoughts about anything else happening. So it was kind of this really sort of positive and inspiring scene because there there wasn't this kind of like edge of, well, maybe about kind of larger kind of structures and stuff. 
Um, and it was just really cool. It was like, what it, you know, I, and within a couple of years, I did a zine of which I did one issue, uh, which was the worst zine ever made by humans ever. I, I, um, I think I think I did the same thing, and I, I interviewed Bo from Avail and one of the guys from uh, John Cougar concentration camp. Right. Yeah. 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 I I interviewed. Actually, funnily enough, I interviewed Guy Pachotto from Fugazi, who replied <laughs> to my emails. Um, um, incredibly enough, yeah. To this dreadful zine, I put on a show. I, it was amazing. The first show that I put on, me and my friend put it on, um, and did all the build up to the show. And it was at a place called the Hope and Anchor in London, which is legendarily where the Pistols started out and everything. And there's a, the basement's like it's like a hundred cap room, if that. And we had three bands on the bill, and we sold it out. But when we got there on the day, the guy who ran the and he discovered that we were both underage. We were both like 16 and was like, this can never happen again. Um, so uh, that was the, a, a roadblock in my promoting career, should we say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, and then, and then like my band, um, Knee Jerk, which, uh, you know, we did a UK tour in the summer of 98. There was a BYOL page in the back of Fracture, which was the kind of first UK-wide zine at the time. And it was the first one that was free because it was paid for by advertising, which at the time was pretty novel. And it had a book your own life section. And me and uh, my two 16-year-old friends booked a tour of the UK in the summer of 98 with that and the payphone at our school. And so, so, you know, what I'm trying to say is a lot of my early experiences were all kind of informed by the DIY ethic. And I like to think that at least the kind of mindset behind that has is something that I've carried forward to this day. Absolutely. And I think one of the, one of the interesting things is that you are very open about here's my email address. And I sure. think that that's one of those things that I think you could tie a direct line to work ethic in that, in that most sure. people are not going to sit there generally and, you know, entertain whatever volume of emails are coming in. And I guess that kind of leads me to, to asking, in general, you know, I know you have, you're either on tour or you're not on tour, but how are you structuring your day to balance your life and your productivity? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, as a brief thing, by the way, the email thing, like when I was a kid, I emailed three people. I emailed Guy Pachotto, I emailed Henry Rollins, and I emailed Chris from Propagandi, and all three of them wrote back to me. And I'm still telling that story. Um, 25 years later, do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and I answer, I probably answer 50, 60 emails a day. And I'm not saying that every single one of those people is going to be telling a story in 25 years like this, but some of them might. And that feels like paying it forward. I, I must admit, like, in re this, it's interesting that you ask that question now because I have in recent years been trying to restructure what I do. A little bit in, in, in sort of post pandemic almost, I want to say. But I mean, because basically the thing is like the idea of being that accessible is centered around an ideological statement, which is that there's no difference between performer and audience and that music is a conversation amongst community. And I do believe those things pretty profoundly. Of course, on a practical level, it is the case that, like, particularly if I'm like playing larger venues, I mean, I, I no longer go and just hang out in the crowd for the sport bands. That would be kind of ludicrous to do when you've got several thousand people coming to a show. It's not really doable. It's not really manageable. Yeah. And and particularly in the world of social media, there are people who I feel like I'm trying to put this in the best way possible, but like they haven't quite signed up to the egalitarian principle that I've signed up to. And they use that access in a way that isn't just me having a straight up conversation with somebody else, but becomes kind of 
needful or like trying to get something. Do you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like it's it's not quite on a level anymore. And I guess one of the things as well is that we live in the what I call the gotcha culture, which is that an awful lot of what happens on social media is about people. It's a, a lot of it is a game about trying to catch people out. This is a gigantic bad faith machine that we call Twitter and all the rest of it. And on some levels, I have to be a little defensive about that. Um, and this is all a long-winded way of saying that like um, this is my phone and this is the center of my um, anxiety issues that I have, which I have many. And one of my current things at the moment is trying to kind of like decouple from technology a little bit. So like these days, social media is entirely a professional rather than personal thing for me. I do still answer my emails. What I'm trying to do is like set aside an hour every day to just do that rather than constantly just reading what's coming in because I don't think it's very good for my mental health and creativity because ultimately it just sucks up your focus. It does. Every hour I spend doing that is an hour I'm not kind of writing or playing music. You know? Yeah. So, so I mean, and that has changed over time. But I mean, broadly speaking, I still do do keep up with it. And it's funny because at every different stage of my career, somebody somewhere has gone, well, maybe now's the time to stop doing that whole email on your website thing. And I never have to date. And, you know, there's been hate mail and there's been controversy phishing, if you see what I mean. That's come through. And I've had, I get people who have issues should we say send me emails in a way that can be slightly difficult for me but the vast majority of it is a positive experience i have a cool conversation with people who come to my shows and i like to think that it gives me a pretty good sense of what's happening in in my audience as well sure so i guess to touch on the uh how are you balancing your your day generally to to you you talked about that you you'll take your email and section it off to a, a specific period do you do you try to spend you try to allocate daily time to writing or is it just so super dependent on, on what you're up to that particular day? Yeah. I mean, I th- writing is something that I still find quite ephemeral in a way that I think is good. Uh, it changes over time. It changes because I've written at least nine records <laughs> um, and uh, that changes the writing and all the rest of it. And like, you know, I, funnily enough, actually, I'm in a place right now where when we get off this tour that we're on right now, I'm actually going to set myself like a scheduled weekly writing routine, which I've never actually done before. And I'm going to experiment with that. Um, I know it's something that Nick Cave does a lot, who is a huge inspiration to me in many ways. And I now, my wife and I moved out of the city and we have, I have like a studio and I'm going to set myself like a two days a week to just write all day and, and see what happens. Nice. And it, but to, to, before now, I mean, generally speaking, obviously, I have periods when I write more than others, but it's generally just sort of an ongoing background process. I mean, it is worth saying that, like, I'm somebody who thrives with a bit of structure in my life. And one of the reasons I love touring is that, contrary to some of the cliches about it, it's a pretty structured routine. You know, I get up at a certain time and I get given a day sheet that explains to me what I'm doing with my day, and we sound check at the same time. and I eat at the same time and do you know what I mean? There's, there's, there's rhythm to it, yeah. you know? And, and I find that quite useful. And actually, because I've been touring since I was so young, um, one of the big tasks of my adult recent adult life has been trying to sort of find kind of measure and structure in my non-touring life. And for a long time, that was a car crash because I had issues with drugs. Um, and, and the, the drug thing was funny because that didn't affect me that much because I toured so much. I'd come home for like two days, 
get fucked up, go on tour again, no problem. And then I started having more time off tour, and it turns out that you can take drugs for a lot longer than two days, um, <laughs> if you so wish. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so the, but you know, building some kind of like rhythm and structure into my home life has been, and, and for, for writing and for creativity, but for everything really, and, and that's just how I function. In, in thinking about like goal setting, long term, short term, I, I know you've played, I think, literally thousands of shows. You know, so three thousand six hundred ninety-seven. Damn. So we're we're inching up to three thousand. So I mean, Slowly. there there had to be some kind of. I assume there was some kind of a vision. You know, whether it was when you you know back in the the campfire punk rock days and all the way up until now. And I guess how are you? goal setting on a short-term or long-term basis to kind of, you know, keep that vision moving forward? That's a good question. I mean, the short-term is is the simpler question to answer in a way, just in the sense that, like, you know, right now we're touring my current record. Um, I'm starting to think seriously about uh, my next record, in, both in terms of writing and in terms of label structure and that kind of thing, because I've just finished a record deal, which no one ever does, um, which is cool. You know, like I'm out of contract, and because I, not because I got dropped, it's fucking crazy. Um, so you know, so there's there's all those kinds of things going on, and there's a business side to what I do. Of course, there is. You know, and part of that's kind of managing my finances, but part of it's ethical as well. You know, it's trying to make sure that I do things in a way that I think is fair to the people I work with and my audience and blah, blah, blah. So there's all that going on. Um, longer term, I mean, life goals, whatever. I mean, it's it's kind of vague, but there is definitely something there. I mean, one of the things I always wanted to do was be like Black Flag in terms of my touring schedule, you know, and like going to the concept of work ethic. I have a grand sort of theory that there is a very, very strong line of cultural DNA between American puritanism and American hardcore. I mean, Rick, come on, straight edge. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, let's talk about that. Um, but, but so, so, so there's that going on. Um, and also, I mean, to be a hundred percent honest, like I come from a pretty comfortable white collar family background and like touring is my blue collar. You know, it's the thing. It's my, it's my honest day's work for an honest day's pay kind of thing. And that, they didn't have that in any other part of my life. And, and as, as ridiculous and as pretentious as it may sound, like to me, one of the things like about touring is that I get up and I do my job all day and I go to bed tired because I did my job and I did it well, you know, and I like that side of it. And that's something that I totally envisage being a part of my life. But, but to, sorry, to, to answer your question, I mean, like goals, the, the goals are they're more like, I don't want to repeat myself. I don't want to be boring and I don't want to be bored. I want to make sure that if I'm out there making art, that I have something to say um, and that I am having a conversation, you know, so it's kind of, it's quite vague. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you though. I mean, how, how important would you say specific to, you know, a, a career in the arts, how important would you say persistence and perseverance are, you know, to that work ethic? St startling, like hugely, hugely important. I don't, think that I know anybody who's been successful in the arts who doesn't have a, a strong work ethic and a strong sense of perseverance. And it's not just in the sense that, like, you know, I think it's safe to say that we live in a world right now where, generally speaking, the supply of arts outseeds the demand, uh, exceeds the demand, and it, therefore it is hard to be an actor or to be a musician or a writer or whatever. There's a lot of people trying to do it, so you have to persevere. You have to... I think... I think um, 
one of the things to me is being my own harshest critic, if possible. Do you know what I mean? Be super hyper, hyper self-critical and try it in, as a method of self-improvement. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I finished this song. It's pretty good. How could it be better? Last night's show was a good one. What could I improve on? What could I do better? How could I communicate with the audience better? What set list would make more sense? Whatever it might be. So there's, there's all that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, like, I, I have in my time, because I'm old now, you see, um, I have in my time known people in bands who've, like, got signed and just kind of, like, kicked back and been like, yeah, that's me. And it's like, what are you fucking talking about? That's when the job starts, you know? Uh, just on a practical level, you know? And, like, you think Bob Dylan didn't work his ass off? Come on, do you know what I mean? And like the Ramones, please, you know? Um, even, and they're not a band that I like, but to pick what I think of a, is this sort of almost like the, the annoying archetype of rock and roll decadence. Guns N' Roses worked their asses off to get what they had. I mean, they were god-awful, but nevertheless, it took them time to hone, not just to hone their sound and their craft, but to draw the attention of the people around them and to create what they created, you know? So yes, I think persistence and a hard work ethic is like utterly, utterly vital to any sort of creative success. Awesome. Anything that you want to plug or talk about before we go? I have a new record out. It's called FTHC. I mean, um, uh, which is in many ways um, relevant to everything that we've been discussing today. Uh, Americans know what the HC stands for. English people less so. But... uh, but hey, um, no, yeah, I mean, there's a new record out. Um, I'm going to be touring more next year, no doubt. <laughs> awesome. Frank, thanks for coming on with me today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening today. Please subscribe to the Artist Work Ethic podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And please rate and review the show. Follow us on Instagram at The Artist's Work Ethic. And check out theartistsworkethic.com. <laughs>